On this episode of the podcast, I tell the guys about an old school linebacker that took over an NFL front office with absolutely zero experience. And they won the Super Bowl. They sh- Well, as a player, they did. Four times. Hey. As a uh, GM, not so much. Oh, no. Aww. Pretty rocky. So go ahead and recline that sofa and loosen that tie, because this is Mismanaged. Welcome to Mismanaged, a weekly podcast where we kick back and criticize the failings of paid sports professionals while also offering them foolproof solutions to all their management woes. I'm Austin Egan. I'm Josh Sweezy. And I'm Nathaniel Westover. Let's get into it. This week, we are discussing the NFL. Warning to any and all Detroit Lions fans. (sighs) This could be anything. Yeah, right? You may want to cover your ears. Or get to work on figuring out how to properly rebuild a franchise. Mm-hmm. Nah. Detroit. They love to, in their Hate rebuilds, themselves. just linger in mediocrity. Forever. 7-9. Yeah. and nine. That's the sweet spot. 8-8's <laughs> eight and eight's a great year. Mm. No more 8-8's. Eight and eights. <gasps> No more. That's Oh, weird. that's true. Yeah. With the 17 games a year now. <sighs> Wonder Ooh. what they'll do. They have to pick a side. I like that. You have to be under 500 or above. <laughs> no more of this Ooh. exactly 500 nonsense. Makes betting way easier. Uh, but this week, we are discussing the tumultuous tenure of former Lions GM Matt Millen. Millen held that position from 2001 to 2008 and was a horrible time. <laughs> it, was, it was a horrible time to be a Lions fan. And that... That's saying something. Yeah, that's saying something when it comes to being a Lions fan. As my uh, Uncle PJ would always say, the Lions will always find a way to disappoint you. Mm. We'd be watching the game uh, every Thanksgiving. They'd be up by two, maybe even three touchdowns. And he would say, wait, just wait. (laughs) Just wait. There's still time on the clock. And without fail, they would blow it. Oh. So, yeah. So to say that this was a horrible time... Is really saying something. This period would see some of the most depressing moments of the Detroit franchise, and let me tell you, that is quite the accomplishment. But before we dig into the shortcomings of Matt Millen, the executive, let's get the full history of the man in question. Millen was a star high school player for the Zephyrs of Whitehall, a suburb of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Amazing. Ooh. I do like the mascot Zephyrs. <laughs> what is a Zephyr? Um... I think it has something to do with, like, wind and speed. The mascot logo was, like, a train. It was, like, a Z and the train was going. But I don't think it's... Maybe it is a Zephyr train. It's just a train. Yeah. But a Zephyr... I don't know. I hope it's just a train. We're just going with just a train. It would make sense (laughs) for Allentown. Allentown trains. (laughs) Toot, toot. Toot, toot. All aboard. (laughs) He was recruited to play for the Nittany Lions of Penn State University, where he was awarded All-American honors at the defensive tackle position. His play in college was good enough for him to be selected in the second round of the 1980 NFL Draft by the Oakland Raiders. Whoop, whoop. Okay. Once he got to the NFL, however, the Raiders moved him from defensive, defensive tackle to linebacker. He was like 6'1", 250. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're not big enough He was to play. a small tackle. Yeah, he was a small tackle. 
Uh, Millen would be a perennial starter during his 12-year career, starting 166 of 180 games. That's 92% of all games he played he started in. Wow. Millen would also go on to win four Super Bowls, two with the Raiders, nice. one with the Niners, cool. and one so, with Washington. Even more also, more gross. He didn't even play that game. He wasn't active for <laughs> nice. Washington. <laughs> still oh, counts. Get your it still counts. Four-time Super Bowl champ. Overall, Millen experienced great success as a dependable, average starter. He was mostly healthy throughout his career and managed to appear in a Pro Bowl once. Hey, being healthy, you can't take that for granted. Especially at the linebacker no, position in the, like that time. Yeah. yeah. That's wild. He posted 11 sacks, 9 interceptions, and 8 fumble recoveries over his career. So once again, nothing that will, like, Blow over 12 mind. years, yeah. nothing that's like, oh, wow. But, you know, dependable. He was there. He even returned seven kickoffs, averaging a little over 10 yards per return. Nice. What? Which is incredible. <laughs> yeah. For a linebacker. Uh, tackles weren't a recorded stat at the time, so we have no idea what his numbers were like in that category. But they must have been good enough to keep him as a starter. The most noteworthy aspect of his career for our purposes, however, comes on January 5th, 1986. The Raiders were the number one seed in the AFC after a 12 and 4 season, but were upset by the wild card New England Patriots, 27 to 20. Tensions were high and players were heated. Raiders star Howie Long became involved in an on-field dispute with Patriots GM Patrick Sullivan. Sounds about right. Millen decided to intervene on his teammate's behalf by punching Sullivan directly in the face. The nice. Raider way. Sullivan stated that the punch quote made him see stars. I mean, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah. Just a, you're just a regular man. You're just a regular man <laughs> punched by an NFL linebacker. Uh, he requires stitches. Yeah. In reference to the incident, Millen refor- referred to it as, quote, a good hit. Nice. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was all right. That made solid good. contact. A Raiders linebacker, if there ever Never, was one. Yeah, not even the, the craziest Raiders linebacker. No, today. not even. <laughs> it's like, this. that's the standard. Oh, yeah. That's the mm-hmm. bar. Yep. <laughs> You're trying to touch Howie Long? <laughs> Not that the man you had any chance at Long? <laughs> Naturally, with a strong personality and old-school disposition, Millen transitioned into broadcasting, becoming a color commentator for CBS and for Fox. He also did radio work for CBS, providing analysis for Monday Night Football. Millen experienced a fair amount of success in his broadcasting career, becoming the second-best analyst at Fox behind only the legendary John Madden. Mm. All right. Everything was going well until the Detroit Lions came knocking at his door. All was fine until the Lions showed up. Ain't that just the way of it, though? Yep. The Lions ruin everything they touch. <laughs> Lions ruin everything. In 2001, Lions owner William Clay Ford Sr. approached Millen about becoming the franchise's new CEO and de facto general manager. It should be noted that at this time, Millen had no experience in player development or front office operations. And he had never held any coaching positions. It's all instinct. You don't need to know things. You, if you, you just know it. If you talk to the Lions owner, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Uh, the closest he came to qualifying was the fact that he had been drafted before. <laughs> so, so you know how that works. <laughs> so you know how the draft process works from one side. So you, you should be able to guess how the other side works, right? Even Millen recognized that he was unqualified. Reportedly, when Ford approached him, Millen stated, quote, Mr. Ford, I really appreciate this, but I'm not qualified. To which Ford replied, quote, you're smart, 
you'll figure it out. And he did. Oh, no. And apparently that was all the convincing Millen needed to embark on a path that would mar his career. Hey, you're right. I am am really smart. smart. I am pretty smart. I guess it's just, you know, looking at people, picking them. And if I can't figure it out, I'll just punch him. Hey, that's the idea. Ford's ownership style and the hiring of Millen were both confusing, but the combination of the two would result in the perfect storm. Ford had been owner of the Lions since 1961, and over the 40 years between then and 2001, the team only had three general managers. On the flip side, the team had gone through 11 different head coaches. Wow. Yeah, so a bit of a trend that Ford put a lot of power in the hands of his executives, allowing them to pass the blame onto head coaches and other personnel. His leniency with Millen's predecessor, Chuck Schmidt, wasted Barry Sanders and Herman Moore's careers. Mm. Despite the team's 79% win percentage during Schmidt's tenure, he was unable to capitalize on Sanders' talent and shelled out cash on long-shot attempts to do so, most notably quarterback Scott Mitchell, which could be its own mismanaged episode. No, uh, no. Scott Mitchell, basically, here's the short of it. He was uh, Dan Marino's backup. Cool. And they were like, you're good enough. They're like, we're going to throw a bajillion dollars at you and to come play. He was perfect. He was okay. And then he was really, <laughs> really bad. Yeah. And then he went off somewhere else and was good. I think. Oh, cool. Is how it played out. But I don't know. <laughs> I didn't go too deep on it. Uh, that's for another time. Millen was entering a situation where he had an absurd amount of control and leniency, despite his lack of experience. Millen's first goal as GM was to hire Steve Mariucci as head coach. At the time, Mariucci was having a great amount of success with the 49ers, consistently posting double-digit win seasons and playoff appearances. Unwilling to leave the 49ers, Mariucci suggested the Lions take his offensive coordinator, Marty Morningwig. And so, because Millen doesn't know what he's doing, and of course successful head coaches actively give away their best assistance, the Lions hired Morningwig who had never been a co- head coach at any level. No questions. I mean, needed. Cleveland does that all the time. And they're Cleveland. But this is also Detroit. Exactly. It's part of the Bermuda Triangle <laughs> NFL franchise. The worst teams. <laughs> In an initial press conference, Morningwig stated, quote, the bar is high. The Lions would... <laughs> For who? Him? The team? <laughs> Millen? Anyone? What bar? Everyone? Short, it's sweet. It's a sound bite. Are you <laughs> playing the Lambo? City of Detroit? <laughs> the Lions would go on to have a 2 and 14 season. So that is not a high. <laughs> so we bar. set the bar at 1 and 15. So we cleared that hurdle cleared that, immediately. That's high for me. Yeah. And our bar was before. getting a Yeah. I was 0 and 0 before this. Disappointed with the results of the season, but not deterred, Millen attempted to better equip Morning Wake for success. The Lions had the third overall pick of the 2002 draft, and you might be asking yourself, with a record that bad, how is that possible? It's because the 2002 draft was the first year that the Texans were teams, so they had the number one as the expansion, and the Panthers somehow went 1-15. Nice. Uh, so nice. They set their bar too low. Lions were three. The bar was too high. Uh, with it, Millen selected the quarterback of the future, Joey Harrington, out of the University of Oregon. Nah. All, all University Go Ducks. of Oregon quarterbacks are are the best. I remember <laughs> watching Joey Harrington as a kid mm-hmm. growing up in Michigan. And let me tell you, even looking at him now, I'm like, yeah, no, he always did just look like a child out there. <laughs> <laughs> just look up a picture of him. He looks Aww. like a little baby. 
Uh, the only players selected before Harrington were David Carr mm-hmm. first to the Texans, and then uh, Julius Peppers to the Panthers. Ah, so both arguably better choices. Yeah, arguably <laughs> even David Carr. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't blame David Carr for David Carr's career. Yeah, I blame no, the that's for, a tough gig. Yeah, <laughs> but the hey, Texans for all of their stars' careers and falls. Yes, true. Um, with the, yep, he picked Joey Harrington, and Harrington was marginally talented, but nice. was never able to find real success with the Lions. Less for a, nice. It's less nice. <laughs> yeah. There are a myriad of reasons for this, but we'll get into that later. Additionally, Millen dipped into the free agent market to beef up the offense, and he was actually able to grab two of the top free agent wide receivers, Oz Akeem and Bill Schroeder. Unfortunately, he was able to secure these players because he drastically overpaid for them. Nice. Yes. Hakeem was the number one receiving option for the greatest show on turf behind oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Tory Holt and Isaac Bruce. Yeah. So, honestly, anyone playing behind them is going to have some pretty good numbers. Yeah. 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 But anyone behind them is going to be number three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that too. Uh, and Hakeem was talented. He had some great physical attributes, namely speed, which is what attracted him to, which is what attracted Millen to him. And Schroeder had also had some great physical attributes, namely speed and explosiveness. <laughs> they can run real, real fast. You will soon learn that is Millen's thing. He Nothing loves wide receivers. Adores them. Which is weird for an old school linebacker. Whole team that is true. So that's your Madden t- uh, franchise technique. You get burner wide receivers. That's what you need, what you want. Well, yeah, it's because in Slants Madden, that's wraps. all you do need. <laughs> deep rubs for days. Um... Although both were talented, neither were dependable primary targets. Schroeder was a practice squad player for years before making an impact with Favre's Packers. Routes were sloppy and catching was inconsistent. Despite these known shortcomings, Millen gave Hakeem five-year, $16 million contract and a four-year contract with a $2.5 million signing bonus to Schroeder. Millen and the Lions would soon learn one of the hardest truths in football, the truth that GMs to this day have to learn. Speed doesn't matter if you can't catch the ball or stay healthy, which neither of them really could. Cool, fun. Two (laughs) pivotal things. Heading into the next season, head coach Morningwig doubled down and stated, quote, the bar is even higher. Four wins. (laughs) We can do it. They could not. Oh, no. True to his word, the Lions went on to have a 3-13 and season. Hey, moving on Improvement. Yep, one game. Joey Harrington struggled in his 12 starts as a rookie, only throwing 12 touchdowns to 16 interceptions and a little over 2,000 yards on 50% completion. Hakeem and Schroeder combined for a dismal 73 receptions and 8 touchdowns between the two of them. Both averaged a catch rate in the low 40s, so their production was not a result of them not getting the ball thrown their way. Mm -hmm. They were just dropping Dropping all the time. And I'm sure some of them were Harrington's off throws, but... (laughs) That's they it. had some. They didn't track drop rates in the stats, so it's hard to say. Not only was the play bad, but the coaching was questionable too. The best example came in a game against the rival Chicago Bears. The Lions had won the first meeting of the season in Detroit in a 23-20 overtime win. This time, they were in Chicago, and once again, the game went into overtime. The Lions won the toss, but Morningwig decided that having favorable wind direction was more important than receiving the ball. Oh, heck yeah. A quick reminder, this was back <laughs> when the sudden death was the rule yep, of overtime. So even a field goal, if you scored it first, it's over. This decision was even more confusing when you consider the Lions kicker was Jason Hansen, 
who had held the NCAA record for longest field goal at 62 yards, and who would eventually become the Lions' all-time leading scorer. Cool. Yeah. The best Lion! <laughs> he is, in terms of points. I mean, Barry Sanders is the best Lion, and then Calvin Johnson, but... And then Hanson right below! And then Hanson's right below. <laughs> no arguments. Uh, alas, the Lions elected to kick and never got the ball as the Bears beat them 20-17. to in his first two years, the Lions were 5-27 and and had yet to win a road game. Oh, oh no. Pretty oh, yes. good. Despite all this, Millen assured fans that Morningwig would return the next season. That was until the 49ers fired Steve Mariucci. At that point, Millen kicked Morningwig to the curb and immediately brought Mariucci on board with a massive five-year, $25 million contract. The move immediately brought some unfavorable attention, as it was clear Millen had anointed Mariucci before conducting any interviews. Cool. Violating the new NFL minority <laughs> hiring mm. policy owners had agreed upon the previous December. The Rooney Rule. At first, the move looked to launch a new era for the defeated franchise. Mooch had won 12 or more games in three of his 16 seasons with the 49ers and was hailed as an offensive genius. However, it soon became painfully obvious that the majority of Mooch's success could be attributed to the juggernaut offense of Steve Young, Jerry Rice, and Terrell Owens. Yeah, hard to lose with that combination, if I'd you, imagine. If you have a bad offense with those players, you're done messed up. It's the Steve Nash method. We can't really get a fair analysis of if Steve Nash is a good coach, because he has three <laughs> all-time talents. Yep. Well... It's usually a shuffle of one to two of them at a time. But. That's fair. Ooh, <laughs> sick burn. Millen must have realized that the team needed a lot of work, regardless of who was at the helm. With this in mind, he made two notable additions to the team. In the 2003 draft, the Lions had the second overall pick. With it, Millen selected a wide receiver out of Michigan State, Charles Rogers. Nice. Good old Chuck. The Lions did this despite the fact that Rogers had been caught using a masking agent during a drug test. Cool. Always a good first look. Yep. Ah. Uh, Millen also pursued and overpaid for St. Louis Rams cornerback Dre Bly. <laughs> Millen gave Bly a five-year, $24.5 million contract with a $6 million signing bonus, despite the fact that Bly wasn't even a starter for the Rams. Cool. Oh. No! He gave a backup corner a massive contract. Like, that's a pretty good contract in today's standards. That's like, oh, for cornerbacks, yeah. like, oh, that's pretty good. You're not like... a year, yeah. Yeah, it's like not like world-breaking, but it's pretty good. That's back in the early that's your, 2000s. That's like, your second, third starter starter. Yeah. This back in the early 2000s where that's stupid money. And this man was a backup. Oh, no. With the misfit cast established in Detroit, Mooch's deficiencies became apparent. The ball seemed to travel the width of the field far more often than the length. The offense, bereft of talent, looked like an inefficient college team. Behind Mariucci, the Lions were only able to muster a 5-11 season in the 2003-2004. I think it's they're keep moving up. Still getting better. They're slowly but surely. <laughs> Mooch would go on to string together a series of terrible performances that culminated in an embarrassing 7-27 to uh, blowout loss to Michael Vick's Atlanta Falcons. Afterwards, he was relieved of his duties as head coach, leaving behind a terrible record of 15-29 and and a legacy of practices so soft and easy that the Allen Park practice facility was referred to as Allen Park Country Club. <laughs> 
Yeah, we're not going to tackle at all during practice. Uh, we'll throw one day a week. We'll work routes when we feel like it. You're joking, but honestly, it's close. Might as that. well. Uh, just... And uh, don't even worry about pads. No, yeah. Just don't think don't about any pads today. We don't need it. Yeah. Which, this was kind of a recurring theme throughout this phase of accusations by the fans and Miller himself that the team was soft. <clears throat> um, there was not a lot of pleasure in the fan base with exactly the toughness. It was not reflective of the city, <laughs> and there was frustration with that. Uh, Joey Harrington especially got the brunt of it. Fans were brutal to him. Both Rodgers and Bly only lasted as long as Mariucci did. Rookie receiver Charles Rodgers would break his collarbone after only four games in 2003 and then break it again in the week one of the 2004 season. Oh, boy. His, His third season saw him suspended for substance violations, after which he was released and never entered the league again. Nice. Bly, on the other hand, turned out to be a loudmouthed defensive back that lacked the ability to back up his talk. I've never heard of those before. Oh, no. (laughs) Bly apparently signed with Detroit because of Mariucci, and when he was fired, Bly became a cancer in the locker room, publicly blaming quarterback Joey Harrington for Mariucci's removal. Oh, jeez. Not his quarterback. To the Detroit press, he said, quote, if we'd had production on offense, in particular with the quarterback position, Mooch wouldn't have been fired. If Jeff Garcia hadn't gotten hurt, we wouldn't be in this position today. Mooch wouldn't have gotten fired. He went on to say, we're all at fault, but I just feel like Joey's been here four years, and being the number three pick in the draft, he hasn't given us anything. He hasn't given us what the third pick in the draft should give us. I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, he's not wrong, but also he's talking at... As if he's been in Detroit for a long time (laughs) and like an established veteran when he's just the backup getting paid starter money. Yeah. Like he once you guys are right. He's not wrong, but it is not your position as it's not your place to say that. Like it's maybe the coaches. If he has a firm grasp on the locker room and like runs that place, he can say that. Yeah. But it's really the media and behind closed doors that that should be said. Not your loudmouth corner to the Detroit press. Bly was traded to the Broncos after the season for running backs of uh, running back Tatum Bell and tackle George Foster. All three players were eventually cut by their teams. So real bummer of a trade. After Mariucci's departure, Millen was twenty-one and fifty-nine, a twenty-six percent win percentage, and once again needed a head coach. One of Millen's and the fans' biggest complaints, as I said, was the overall toughness of the team. Millen abandoned pursuing offensive gurus and decided to go with Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive line coach and assistant Rod Marinelli. Rod had worked under Tony Dungy for six seasons and had also won a Super Bowl with the Bucks in 2003, but he had no head coaching experience or even coordinator experience. Yeah, and that 2003 Super Bowl doesn't even count. So No, doesn't even count. It's not real. (laughs) It's not real. It didn't happen. Unable to fully abandon his pursuit of offensive innovation, Millen hired offensive guru Mike Martz as offensive coordinator, taking the decision out of the hands of his newly appointed head coach. Always a confidence booster. Hooray! In his initial press conference, Marinelli said the dictatorial tone stating, quote, There's one voice for discipline. Mine. There's one voice for leadership. Mine. Unquote. 
And he won the whole season. Honestly, people in Detroit loved him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Like, at first. (laughs) I'll say that at first. You got to back it up, though. People liked that tone because it was something that had been lacking up until that point. Marinelli immediately lost his first five games as a head coach Ooh. and would only manage to earn a three record of 3-13 in the 2006 season. There it is. Nice. The next season, Lions would start off strong with a record of 6-2 and two before losing six straight and ending the season 7-9. and nine. Wow. Consistency. <laughs> Woof. It was at this point, offensive coordinator Martz was driven out of Detroit. As it turned out, he didn't really know what he was doing and only used his position in Detroit to give jobs to his former players from his days with the Rams, like wide receivers Mike Furry, Sean McDonald, and the returning Oz Hakeem. Thanks. Brought him back. Nepotism. Yes. Marinelli and the Lions would go 4-0 in the 2008 preseason behind sophomore stud Calvin Johnson. Who's that? You shut your mouth. But ultimately... They would go a league record 0-16, a record unmatched until the 2017 Browns. Matt Millen would be fired partway through that historically bad season. But hey, now that record can be broken. Yeah. The team can go 0-17 now. Yeah, maybe the Lions will do it again. There's hope. (laughs) The Lions looking at Cleveland going, how dare you match our badness? We'll be worse. They'll just bite kneecaps all the way to 0-17. 0-17. Millen was the second-highest-paid GM in the NFL and had been given a five-year contract extension at the start of the 2005 season. So they liked what they had seen so far. They had liked it. Mm. They, had, they had liked him a lot. Calls for Millen's job had begun gaining momentum shortly after the firing of Mariucci as head coach. In December of 2005, at a Michigan State basketball game, the ousted Moosh was shown on the big screen. This elicited chance of buyer Millen. Oh, that's, that's... Yeah, that's brutal. Ooh, that's inspiring for a whole team and organization. Over the next several months, and dragging through the years, Fire Millen signs and chants would be found at any sporting event that had anything to do with the state of Michigan. From college athletics to WWE events, fans called for Millen's head. Marches were held and fan walkouts of Lion Games were organized. In 2005, fans organized an Orange Out, for the Lions home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh. For those of you who gross. don't know, Cincinnati's colors are orange and black. So it's brutal. At a home game, a home they're like, game. we're Bengals fans today. The Ford family continued to stand by Millen longer than they ever should have because, according to inside sources, they believed he was the best general manager the Lions had ever had. Oh, Once again, they the made it to six wins. So high. It's, seven wins. It's brutal. Over his seven full seasons with the Lions, Millen accumulated a record of 31 and 81, a 22% win percentage, one of the worst records over that length of time in NFL history. Only the Chicago Cardinals of the 1940s and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of the 1980s were worse. It took Millen's Lions more than three seasons to win a road game. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, no. His away record was 8-50 and 50 during his seven-year tenure. <sighs> Millen was also just bad at drafting. He overvalued players and positions greatly and was oddly obsessed with the wide receiver position. From 2003 to 2007, 
He used four of six first-round picks on wide receivers. All of them were top 10 selections. Two of them were the second overall pick. Only one of them was Calvin Johnson. He got it right. Yeah, throw, <laughs> throw spaghetti against the wall long enough. Something to stress there. He got on the last one. He got it. And it's amazing that he didn't get extended. Like, if the Lions weren't going 0-16, even if they had, like, a four-win Two season, wins, they might have kept wins. him. Probably. Because they got Calvin. Like, the only reason they got with, rid of him was public sentiment was so strong against this guy. From Charles Rogers, who couldn't stay healthy or sober, to Mike Williams, who didn't play for a year before being drafted and wasn't given a thorough physical uh, physical or personality evaluation, Millen did not know how to work the draft. And what's worse, he didn't know how to own a mistake, often extending poor draft selections for boatloads of money. Not only was Millen a poor front office executive, but he clearly didn't have character to represent a franchise. On numerous occasions, Millen made degrading comments about players and coaches, including those on his own team. He would often complain about Lions' performance, accounting it to their softness. He once went on a Chicago radio station and questioned if his wide receiver, Bill Schroeder, had testicles. Wow. He is the GM of the Lions, and he goes on a radio station in Chicago Chicago and basically says, yeah, I don't even know if Bill Schroeder has balls. Real professional. Yeah. It gets worse. In 2003, after a game against Kansas City, he attempted to approach Chiefs wide receiver Johnny Morton, whom he had cut in 2001 when he took the job. Morton ignored Millen. Millen said, quote, nice talking to you, which Morton replied with, kiss my ass. This apparently upset Millen as he proceeded to yell bigoted slurs at Morton targeting his sexuality. Oh, no. As if such behavior was worthy of being evaluated from a management standpoint at all, uh, we're going to do it anyway. It was itself stupid beyond belief, because Millen shouted these things right next to the Chiefs PR staff and a columnist from the Kansas City Star. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> what a dumb, dumb, dumb man. Even after his departure from the front office, Millen continued to be insensitive and controversial. During the 2010 ESPN draft, he worked as an analyst alongside former Eagles legend Ron Jaworski. He referred to Jaws using an ethnic slur for which he half-heartedly apologized afterwards. There is no denying Matt Millen's lines were completely mismanaged. Matt Millen's just a freaking train wreck. A yeah, struggle. A mess of a man. <laughs> it's... See, like, I was going through all of his, like, shortcomings, all this stuff. I'm like, wow, he was bad at this job. Like, at first he knew he was. And then even, like, you re- see his quotes during, well, not during, before and after. He's like, the whole time I knew I was bad at this job. <laughs> he, he's like, I knew I didn't know what I was doing. He was trying to fake it till he made it, and he did not make it. Nope. He had a quote, like, halfway through his tenure, basically saying, he's like, yeah, I'm learning to get better at the draft. My first few years, I only really did my job right around draft time because that's what I thought all I thought it was. You have and, to. <laughs> I'm like, Whoa. GMs are thinking of drafts years ahead of time. Yeah. They're looking at people super early. He was not. And the Lions paid for it. College, but no more. College football season wraps up. And then he eventually, like two months later, looks up and goes, oh, wait, college. That was a thing. Right. <laughs> uh, who won this year? Brutal. 
Now that we presented one of the worst moves in NFL history, we will be presenting our own proposals for those GMs we believe need a little amateur help to make their professional decisions. Westover, kick us off. Okay. Whoop. Sorry, Josh. No, it's fair. Oh, no. My dear GM is to Las Vegas Raiders GM Mike Mayock. Mike, this offseason's been weird. Total remake of your offensive line pretty much by them all leaving? happened and not much else happened for you guys the right move should be to go sign uh tackle morgan moses who's still a free agent who had a decent season he had very very minimal penalties very like stayed healthy hey a decent tackle we're the raiders we want the most penalties nothing that's fair you make a valid point it's a lot of good arguments but i think it's time to make us for the the raiders to make us The Raiders, to make the splash only appropriate for Las Vegas. I like that. The The Go back to promotion nights. (laughs) (laughs) While Derek Carr came out today saying he'd rather quit football than play for anyone else. My man. I think the Carr experiment has run its course. I've thought that for a few years now. Yeah. I I don't get... I don't agree. I don't agree either. All the people, all the talking heads are like... Derek Carr, get him out of there. I'm like, he's fine. He's a perfectly fine gunslinger. I'd rather have him than Jared Goff. Yeah, that's fair. And the Rams got to the Super Bowl with that man. Mm -hmm. What we really need is a defense. Yeah. Don't say. (laughs) But I think if you want to remain competitive in the AFC West, which is full of talented teams, and not be in last place... Now we should just give up and tank. I suggest it's (laughs) time to move on from your eyeliner-covered boy. I suggest you trade Derek Carr... A 22 second round conditional pick that could turn into a first if it meets the right conditions. A 22 third, and then a 23 third round pitch swap to the Green Bay Packers oh. for Aaron Rodgers. That's what we need a 36 year old quarterback. Gross. Yeah. Come over here. I'm sure our offensive line will protect you. The Raiders team isn't built to win even <laughs> if they have Aaron Rodgers right no. now. That's the problem. But Gruden will not accept a rebuild. Rodgers is upset. As holding out, being upset with the Packers, and the idea of throwing to a young wide receiver like Ruggs could be enough to get Rodgers to kind of sign off on a trade to Vegas. Ruggs and but, Ruggs alone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I looked at the rest of their alone. wide receivers, and I was like, Brian Edwards. Hunter Renfro. Uh-huh. Darren. Go to Darren Renfro. Yep. You could put all of them into one massive <laughs> human being with catching ability. I'd still take Devontae Adams. Oh, yeah. absolutely. No. <laughs> Devontae Adams is a game changer. Plus, it's a move from freezing cold Wisconsin to Vegas. What's not to love? Gambling. See, like, I get that Gruden's like, I refuse to do a rebuild, but you don't have to. Just do a tune-up. Yep. Like, there, that's there, all you really there, need. There are a few positions that need a, there's, yeah, a little bit of fix. There's only a couple TLC. positions where you guys are like, oh, like, your guys, you're kind of old. We yep. don't have that much time. But you can tune that all up. Yep. My dear GM this week goes out to Atlanta Falcons GM Terry Fontenot. Terry, buddy, the Falcons' window for title contention has slammed shut. Shipping off Julio Jones is proof of this. I think it's time you guys go into full rebuild. I think it's time for you guys to start taking offers for Matt Ryan. Yes. There are a few good landing spots for Ryan, but my personal favorite is the Washington football team. I don't like that. But interesting. their starter right now is uh, good old Ryan Magic. Magic. Who is good for, like, six games, so they can, like, flip back and forth like you did with Tua in Miami, and it'll be perfect. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Washington has a bevy of offensive 
you know, no, Washington's brutal. They've got I feel like their going, defense is scary. They're scary, scary. If Vince Magic plays anything like really what if he plays well, mm-hmm. they're winning the division going away. Yeah. So if you traded Matt Ryan to Washington, you should you could probably get a few good pieces. Like they have a a have surplus a, of talent right now. They have now. more they have than a enough plethora of wide receivers. They yep. have more than enough front seven youth exactly. you could take from. So make the right call, Terry. Get rid of the old guard and make a fresh start. For you? I hate that, but it's not It's wrong. not bad. It's a good idea from an objective <laughs> standpoint. But who cares about that? Not me. I care about my rivals. Hey. My dear GM is addressed to Tennessee Titans GM John Robinson. John, well done. <laughs> well done. You fleeced the Falcons and got arguably the most talented wide receiver in the NFL and Julio Jones. Somehow they you... gave up for like a second round pick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bad garbage. <laughs> and somehow, even the bigger win is you somehow convince Julio Jones that this is where he would want to be <laughs> in Tennessee, Nashville. I don't really see. He's a big country music fan. I believe it. <laughs> it's a lie. Don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Your team is looking increasingly well rounded, but you still have a spot or two to shore up before you can feel comfortable diving into the depths of the NFL postseason. It is my opinion that you need to address your defensive backfield. There's no denying that you have some serious vulnerabilities defensively, but I think the backfield is where you should start. Therefore, I suggest you sign free agent safety Malik Hooker. Hooker did end his season with an Achilles injury, but before that, he was showing some real promise as a consistent starter and contributor with the Indianapolis Colts. His first few seasons were solid, and even in the two games he played last season, he was looking pretty good again. Yeah, and it's 2021. Achilles injuries aren't what they used to be. Like no. They're not a death sentence anymore. Yeah, just take your time. And mm-hmm. also, it happened at the beginning of the season, so like he could come back like week Three, four, I don't know where he is in that process. He is interviewing with teams currently. Yeah, yeah. so he might even be ready for the start of the season. Yeah, he was in Pittsburgh, and I think he had an interview with Tennessee, too. Uh, Do it. You guys made some moves last year and brought in some veteran defensive backs, but it still didn't quite do what you needed it to. (laughs) So just keep showing that up. Also, Hooker's young. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's a free agent because it's his Colts, first contract. Yeah, the Colts refused to extend his uh, fifth year extra his fifth year option. Um, so take a flyer on him and just beef up your secondary. No harm, no foul, no risk. Yeah, it's a good call. Just go do it. I like it. Uh, and that's the pod. If you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes, please remember to give us a like or a follow. Maybe even leave a review. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. Also, we have merchandise. Go buy it. Go buy it. Link is in our social media bios. In the words of aforementioned Raiders linebacker Matt Millen, in response to Washington O-lineman Joe Jacoby stating he'd run over his own mother to win the Super Bowl, Millen said, quote, to win, I'd run over Joe's mom too. (laughs) Sorry, Joe's mom. Unquote. Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't do any jaywalking, Joe's mom. What a no. raider. I, what I, a raider. At this point, I think Joe's mom might be yeah. resting. <laughs> Carry on. The deep rest. Thanks for listening, and remember, this was mismanaged. Bye.